This episode is brought to you by Get Mobile ID, the smart choice for MDL implementations. Put citizens in control with Get Mobile ID, fully ISO compliant and UL certified for all transaction modes. Learn more at getgroupna.com. Welcome to AnvaCast, bringing news, information, and expertise to the Anva community. Now celebrating our 90th anniversary. Here's your host, Ian Grossman. Enjoy the show. Welcome back, everyone. This week is our last 2023 Behind the Curtain series that we've been doing all year to recognize Anva's 90th anniversary, talking to different members of the team, learn what they do, see how it works. And this week, I am pleased to welcome Samara Fetner. Samara is our Director of Conference Services. Samara, welcome to your first appearance on the Anva. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. So for you listening, I asked Samara to come on because as a lot of you know in Anva, so much about what we do is about bringing the community together. And we do a lot of that through our conferences and our meetings and our events. And we have a very robust team that makes all of that happen. So I thought it would be fun to talk about a little bit behind the scenes, what it takes to pull off everything from a small working group meeting to our biggest events of the year. So Samara, let's start with with the scope of this. On average now, when you put together every type of meeting we have, from the largest conferences to the smallest committee working group meetings, how many meetings a year are we managing at ANVA? I'd say we're doing about 40 to 50 a year. And like you say, that's a combination of conferences, working group meetings, board meetings, committee meetings, ANVIL hands meetings, every shape and size meeting. So 40 to 50 a year, when you back out holiday weeks and weeks that people just can't travel, essentially there's rarely a week in the calendar where we don't have a meeting going on somewhere. I'd say that's pretty accurate. And if it's not an ANVA meeting, it's another organization that ANVA employees are attending their meetings and conferences. Yeah. And so your team that enables all this to happen is made up of how many people? So there are uh, seven total, including myself. So there are four meeting managers, and we've got Marion, Allie, Ryan, uh, Suzanne's going to be joining our team in a week and a half, and then we've By got... By the time people are listening to this, <laughs> she will be on the team. Oh, yeah. that's cool. So that, yeah. <laughs> and then we've got Vanessa. She's our exhibit and sponsorship manager, and Maria is our registration and travel manager, and I couldn't do what I do without the support of my team. Of course, of course. So let's talk about what it takes to do some of these meetings and the process that Anva, Anva goes through. There's some of this... That is, it doesn't matter whether it's an eight-person working group meeting or the 1,000 people plus AIC. There's some sort of the process that happens for every meeting. Give me that kind of baseline process that size doesn't matter. Sure. And, and that's something I always say, that no matter the, the size of the meeting, it's still always the, the same steps. And the first part is sort of establishing you know what is this meeting about why are we mm-hmm. gathering people together um and some of our conferences that we have year after year we know it's for folks to gather and learn and and network so so, so it's thinking about again looking at the calendar the city the number of people so from there we start our research we put together what's called an rfp and we we send that out 
and we see what we get back. Mm. So we have responses from different hotels, different cities. We are looking, and this, this is conferences as well. So we do this for every meeting, even if it's a meeting for 10 people, up to our AIC, which is 1,000 plus people. Um, so we get back our responses, and we're looking at a number of different things. Um, is the property that bid in the location we want? Okay, so we've established it's in the city we want. Is it in a safe location? Will our members be comfortable leaving the hotel in the evening and walking around? How's the meeting space? Is it in good condition? Is it large enough to achieve what we are trying to achieve in various sessions and meetings? Um, are there enough hotel rooms? Are the hotel rooms in good condition? What's the room rate? Is this within budget? So some of these things are very logistical based, right? You know, what's in the area? What's the status of the space, whether it be the meeting space or the room space? With that many meetings a year, you can't possibly go and look at all in advance before you decide, is this good for us? We just, you know, you said you only got seven people. So how do you determine that, yeah, this hotel looks pretty, pretty good when you can't go and touch and see it? So, that, so that's correct. There is a lot of research that has to happen um, that isn't necessarily in person. So it's researching online, it's looking at reviews, it's asking colleagues within the industry if they know about the property. Sometimes we have members that are really familiar with um, hotels and oh, sure. venues yeah, yeah. within the city. So we have to really rely on that before we make our selection. Okay. So you've made a selection, assume some sort of contracting process, you have a contract in place. Your team has to do a lot with whoever the business owner of this meeting is that you mentioned in terms of the staff person you're working with. Uh, how does that process work in terms of getting our members ready for the meeting and what has to be done to support the meeting? Sure. Um, so there is that initial communication with the with the members, we send out an invitation with all the details of the meeting. It includes when they should arrive, how to book their flight, what meals we're providing. So that gets sent out to the member. Um, the member goes ahead and registers, or sometimes they need to decline if they can't attend. Mm -hmm. So once you know whether they're, they're yeah. coming or going, yeah. one of the things that's fairly unique with ANVA in the association world is we have the ability to more robustly support the travel of our members. And that's something your team is also in the middle of, whether it is on the large events where jurisdictions get certain stipends to use as they want to, or in committee working group board meetings where we're just covering straight up the costs of our members to be able to attend these meetings. And that's something that your team works with our financial team in partnership to, to manage. So tell me a little bit more about that, that process. Are, are you referring to our travel assistance? Travel program? assistance and just member, you know, uh, member financial support that we provide folks to go to meetings. Sure, absolutely. Um, so for our committee meetings and and board meetings, we do cover all the expenses for our members to travel. Um, we work with a travel agency um, called Safe Harbors. We have a software system in place that allows the member to go online and, and search for their own flights, and we set the, the parameters when they should arrive, um, you know, the, the, the threshold in 
in regards to the cost of the flight where it would trigger an email to AMVA to, to approve. Um, and then we cover the cost of the uh, hotel room per diem, we provide meals. And once the member is back home, they submit their expense report to us, which is then carefully reviewed by Maria, our registration um, and travel manager. And then after it goes through its process of approval, so it would be Maria, it would be the program manager, then it would go to finance. Um, and then we eventually uh, cut a check sure. and send that to the member to re reimburse them for their expenses. Now, you mentioned covering meals. I want to talk about this because this is something that even pre predates you and I in AMVA. AMVA has a long tradition of hospitality, making members feel welcome, and no one goes hungry at an AMVA meeting. And again, it's your team that's making those decisions about all these meals, all these breaks, all these restaurants. So open up those doors for me and talk about the meal planning sure. process that goes into, again, the smallest meetings and the largest yeah. meetings, yeah. everybody's eating. Yeah, absolutely. So being a big foodie myself, this is one of my favorite topics because I think, um, the food that you serve at a meeting and a conference, it carries more weight than you would think. Mm. That attendees remember the food. They remember if it's really, really good. They also remember if it's not very good. Um, so when, when my team or myself are selecting men menus, you have to think about not what you want to eat on right. that particular Tuesday, but think about the greater good. Um, what is a menu that's going to appeal to everyone? Um, and then on top of that, we have many people that have dietary restrictions. Some of them are very serious. They can't, you know, eat gluten or they're vegan. So after selecting the menu, if it's not going to accommodate everyone, um, then working with the property to select those special meals, making sure you communicate to the attendee how to get those special meals. Um, and then when it comes to selecting, you know, breaks and restaurants and, you know, you want to think about, um, you know, providing something for everyone. Mm. So that may mean um, going a little bit lighter and healthier on your morning break. Uh, providing some sort of novelty treat for your afternoon break, um, and then maybe for your off-site dinner, um, you know, thinking about what are some of the, you know, local flavors. Right, what's special about where you exactly. are. Exactly, yeah. Because yeah. it helps, I think one of the things we've heard from our members over the years is when they do go to these meetings, this the opportunity to explore and see places they wouldn't otherwise get to see and then all of a sudden find you know uh, something that's neat or local about a place do you have uh, an experience around that that's particularly memorable over the last few years where you've been able to match that local experience of a, of a restaurant or an outing with where particularly an event was located absolutely so the meeting that would come into mind would be, uh, it was a region one uh, board meeting and chief administrators roundtable, And we were in Rhode Island. Mm -hmm. And what do you eat when you're up in New England? Seafood. Lobster. Oh, more specifically. Okay, yes. <laughs> Seafood, but yes, lobster. Yeah. So we went out to dinner and everybody was served a whole lobster. Wow. 
So that was that was really something sitting around. How did I miss this meeting? Where was I? I, <laughs> I know. This is, where this is not ringing a bell. I don't know. I missed this meeting somehow. Um, it was, uh, Bud, it was pre, well, pre-pandemic. Okay. It was Bud Craddock. Oh, so it might have been when we were in Newport uh, for that first time yes, around. Correct. Okay. Correct. I was in Newport, but I don't remember the lobster dinner. I got to go back and yeah. check my notes. Okay, unless, go ahead. Anyway, in, in, this is not about <laughs> Ian and his need to have lobster. We'll, in, in, unless you chose a different entree, but I don't know, Ian, been, if yeah. it was lobster or chicken. What do you think you would have? I mean, have yes, we all know. Yeah, okay. Go ahead. <laughs> keep, keep going. So this one comes to mind because you were able to. Not every not everybody gets to get a whole lobster on a regular basis oh, if yeah. you're coming from certain parts yeah. of North America. So yeah, the, I would say that was something really, really very special, and um, I, I I remember it well many years later, and I think our members that were there would as well. Yeah. Uh, similarly. Um, Let's talk a little bit about other things you remember, crazy experiences, unexpected events, uh, things that, you know, the war stories of of meeting planning. Sure. So (laughs) I will say that our first AIC post-pandemic. Ah, yes. Which saw truly record-breaking numbers. So this was 2022 in Baltimore. It would have been 2022 in Baltimore. Um, and Chrissy Neiser was our chair at the time. And she she may not know this, but I am still very thankful to her for making, not making, about about her, her creativity, trying to do a lot of different things mm-hmm. because it was such an enjoyable challenge that me and my team really got to, to show our, our chops for that meeting. Mm-hmm. So um, we were at a hotel in Baltimore. It was the Marriott. Um, and we expected, you know, maybe seven, 800 people. And our registration numbers kept growing and growing. Um, and we had the entire hotel, but we were starting to outgrow. Right. The, the hotel, hotel was only so big. The hotel, exactly. It was only so big. So, you know, there were a lot of challenges and things to think through. Where, where, where am I going to put everyone? I want to make sure everybody's comfortable. I want to make sure everybody has a place to see to sit. I want to make sure nobody's, you know, struggling to get food. So, thinking through moving people throughout the hotel, um, you know, providing additional seating, and and then on top of our record-breaking uh, registration numbers, uh, we Chrissy really wanted to show our members and our attendees um, as much of Baltimore as she could. Yeah. So she chose to have a reception um, at Camden Yards, mm-hmm. and that was going to be the first time that I had to bus nearly a thousand people to another oh, location for yeah. a reception. Um, so that that was a challenge, and and making the event itself uh, creative and interesting, and getting people excited. Um, that was my first experience with a, a dunk tank, <laughs> um, dunking our board members to raise money for Christie's charity. Yeah. Well, believe it or not, it wasn't the first time we've done the Amba dunk tank. But that's another <laughs> story for another day. Go ahead. Yeah. Um, but it, it was such a great conference. We did so many yeah. new, exciting things. We had, um, we started, uh, th- this was the first AIC to, um, bring about the immersive learning experiences. Yep. So taking members um, off-site 
and it was it was really cool it was really different members were really excited and it's something that we've replicated and some of the regional conferences have replicated it's a, a new model that's very quickly become part of the fabric of our events yeah yeah uh, now, at those larger conferences, something that's different than the smaller events is the addition of the exhibit hall. There's a whole other layer of process and logistics that goes into managing an exhibit hall. I know we have someone that's dedicated to it that's part of your team, mm -hmm. but what people may not realize is when they walk into exhibit hall and they see all these mm -hmm. companies set up with all their stuff and you walk around and get the freebies and of course learn about the companies, there's a lot that's gotten us to that point where you can walk into an exhibit hall. Exactly. So talk me a little bit through that life cycle of designing and building an sure. exhibit hall. Sure. Um, so after we sign a contract, so of course there's always a site visit involved. We have to go and, and, and see the space. So unlike um, the smaller meetings where maybe you'd rely on online research and other people on the ground, the bigger events, you're going well in advance and touching and feeling it. Exactly. Um, because you're dealing with a, a, a larger amount of people, it is important to go ahead and see the property. Um, so for our, our AIC exhibit hall, we, we always try to do the best we can to keep our, our meals on the, first, on the first two days, our breaks, our breakfast, our lunch in the hall to mm -hmm. give our exhibitors um, maximum exposure. So we like to keep people in the hall as much as possible when they're not in sessions. So we start with, okay, how many square feet are we looking at? Um, ideally, in a perfect world, we want 30 to 40,000 square feet, okay. which often does not always happen. Right. Sometimes it's between 20 and 30,000 square feet. So for people that don't know square feet, so to speak, those that have maybe been to some of our events, um, you're talking specifically about AIC, you're looking at 30 mm -hmm. to 40,000. We were just in Madison. How many square feet were we in that exhibit hall? Do you remember? I think that was a little over 30,000. Okay. Yeah, and even with 30,000 square feet, we still we had to do, it. we filled it, and we still had to do a few overflow tables outside in the foyer to, again, make sure everybody's comfortable, make sure everybody had a place to sit when they were eating. Yes. So we have our square footage, and then we um, contract with an exhibit services uh, decorator. And that company, they provide us with the floor plans. They do all the pipe and drape. They do all of the uh, receiving of um, booth shipments from our uh, member companies. Uh, so we work with uh, Curtin is the company we've been working with often. Um, after we establish a floor plan, then we send it over to the convention center or hotel they then have to send it over to the fire marshal for approval so then the fire marshal might come back to them they came they come back to us and they tell us you know your aisles are a little bit small for the number of tables that you are trying to fit so, so wait you say send it over to the fire marshal you're 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 working with the local fire department authorities to approve how we're setting up a room and what the capacity is exactly not not ANVA directly, but it would be um, the convention center or the hotel that's talking to the fire marshal. And then they relay back to us what the fire marshal, he either approves the floor plan, it looks good, or we have to make changes. And are those based on universal standards and requirements, or does each locality have their own set of what they might allow and not allow? 
I would say it's it's based on yes, it is based on location. We often see that convention centers um, they're a lot more stringent than hotels would be. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Any idea why that is? I, I don't really know. <laughs> okay. All right. Okay. So you've gone through this process. Fire marshal has approved it. You've got a design. What what happens? So next? finally, we have a floor plan. Yeah. Um, we know that we could fit maybe 138 by 10 booths. So from there, our sales manager, Rob, he starts selling that floor plan. Then um, exhibitors come back and maybe they, they want to do something a little bit more interesting and different that they have in previous years. They want to do an island of booths, maybe eight booths. They want to build a, t a tall structure. We saw that in Madison more so than we had in previous years. Exactly. Um, so these exhibitors, they work directly with Vanessa on my team um, and Curtin to help fulfill those requirements. And so they're there, they show up, they set up. We're also involved with getting them out when it's done. That's correct. The whole process of breaking down the exhibit hall is a thing in and of itself. It is. Tends to happen a lot faster than setting it up. <laughs> yep, it is. They are ready to get out of there when the exhibit hall closes. That's Absolutely. Great. That's good. Now, one of the things that's interesting is this coming year, for the first time in a while, we're going to have some events in Canada particularly as it relates to the exhibit hall and then more generically, um, some folks have scars of years past of trying to get stuff in and out of the, the country. Do we have any sense as to how shipping across the, the North American border may impact planning for exhibit halls and getting booths in and out? So you're, you're scaring me a little bit, Ian, <laughs> because <laughs> I, I, I've been with AMFA for about six years, and this will be my first... Um, Actually, we're gonna have two conferences yes. in Canada in 2024. Um, but we, so so AMVA, our, our shipment, we feel pretty confident and we work with a, a courier that will, will get our, our shipment to Canada, will get us through customs. And then our exhibit services decorator, Curtin, they will work directly with our exhibitors to receive their shipments. Um, and they, they've been doing this a long time, so I don't have too many concerns at, at the moment. Well, then let's think more broadly, though. You mentioned it's going to be the, the first time Amva's been there in a while, the first time you'll be overseeing mm -hmm. events in Canada. Uh, we still have plenty of time to sort it out because the first one's not until May. What are, though, early on, some of the differences in planning, or maybe there aren't differences in planning, that you've had to take into consideration to host events in Canada versus the U.S.? Sure. Um, well, I would say there's a little bit of a language barrier for Quebec City. So I might, I was corresponding with um, somebody several months ago who spoke French. Um, he, he spoke English, but French was his primary language. So he was having his emails translated um, to English when they came to me and then translated back to French when I responded in English. And, and it doesn't always translate perfectly. Yes. So there is a little bit of that language barrier. Um, there's, of course, the conversion of U.S. dollars to Canadian dollars. Which presumably is a good news story from the Amber perspective. We're going to get a little more for our dollar. We hope so. Um, and, and then there's the... 
food food and beverage. Sometimes we're looking at menus and we're we don't we, we don't know what we're what the item what is. Doing. Yes, poutine. We, we know poutine <laughs> is. Yes, we do know poutine. Okay, and I'm sure we'll see plenty of that <laughs> at our Canadian conferences. Yes, uh, but still, there's this barrier of figuring out a little different different cultures, different um, different language of barriers. Mm-hmm. Um, nevertheless, I know we're all pretty excited. First time going up there in, 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 in a while. Uh, what is it about meeting planning? Because we're talking about a lot of different areas we're pinballing around, but things that are seemingly simple mm-hmm. take many steps and need to be strategic, whether it's menu planning, putting together an exhibit hall, planning for registration, et cetera. So what do you think, being on that side of planning, most people who don't do it don't maybe know it's as complicated, involved, or as time-consuming as it is when it comes out the other end. So I, w- I would say that would be our opening, opening sessions at regional conferences and the annual international conference. Um, to the attendee, it looks really, really seamless. Um, you know, we have several speakers at our opening sessions. Um, and it really is, it's a lot to orchestrate that. And there's many, many parties involved. Mm-hmm. Um, from thinking through the, the timing of the session, um, oftentimes we're having local dignitaries or thinking through, is there somebody to meet this person when they arrive? Is their car being taken care of? Um, am I gonna seat everybody on stage? Do I have enough room on the stage? Is it gonna be awkward to have our main speaker um, come up and off stage several times? Can I work in those um, transitions a little bit smoother? Um, You know, thinking through the entire script. So AMVA scripts all of our our big sessions. Thinking through what's what's up on the screen, um, you know, down to our seating and the flow of folks into the room. How does the room look when they enter? Is everything centered on stage appropriately? Does the podium look okay? Um, is my lighting okay? Is my lighting too bright? Mm-hmm. You know, do I you know do I have enough? seats in the room is it going to be standing room only mm-hmm. um and and i think that the opening session carries so much weight because it really sets the tone of the conference yes so you want it to be really seamless there's a lot of players and and steps and thinking through all of those tiny little details mm-hmm. yeah now i would agree and it's those tiny little details that you can't pinpoint any one of them, and people don't always know that it's there or know that it's not there, but they know that the feeling that they get when they participate in one that comes together really well. And we're really fortunate that nine times out of ten, ours come together pretty well. Yeah. 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 What's changing in the world of meetings? What are the new trends, challenges. For a while, we were really struck with you know increases in airfare, and that seems to still be up, but not quite as monumental as maybe it was just after COVID. Uh, what are the big challenges or trends in the meetings world these days? So right now we're seeing that 
we just don't have as much negotiating power as we used to have when it comes to executing contracts for meetings and events. Um, it, it, it used to be that we had multiple hotels vying for our business. Mm -hmm. So they were offering a lot of concessions and a lot of discounts. Now it's getting harder and harder and hotels are wanting a good chunk of the payment up front. Even mm -hmm. if we're executing a contract two years prior to the conference, they're asking for big deposits. They're not offering us as many complimentary rooms. And I think it's just this post-COVID era where hotels really got burned. Um, everybody's meeting again in person. There's no question anymore about if you're you know, doing things virtually or meeting in person. So that's getting, that's getting a lot tougher. Um, so we're seeing that we're also having to put out RFPs a lot earlier than we used to because we're seeing that the, the, the more desirable properties are getting booked earlier. But I, I'd say, um, yeah, contracts are one of the things that have really changed drastically. And, and that's because of the trend of the demand is so up because everybody is still dealing with this pent-up demand from COVID and now being back to be able to, to do it. We were, I think looking back on it, we, we returned on the earlier side. So for us, we've been meeting in person for a while uh, because we started to bring back in-person meetings in the, um, you know, what was it, fall of... 21 Correct. right was our first in-person meeting and i would say arguably it was just this past calendar year 2023 where maybe universally everybody was back to in-person meetings Correct. and so i think we were on the other side Let, let's go back and revisit some of that history sure. that seems like ages ago but yeah. you and your team were in the middle of that return yep. to meeting in person at a time where you know, not everybody was ready and we wanted right. to do it. We wanted to do it smartly. Right. So, yeah, I, I, I remember that time. I'm being brought back to our our canisters of rubber bracelets that we had. Ah, so yes. early on, excuse me, in the pandemic, um, again, this was wanting to ensure that all of our attendees felt comfortable. So we provided bracelets in um, the colors of green, yellow and red. And, you know, green essentially meant, um, you know, uncomfortable, come on in for a hug. Um, yellow meant caution, I'm happy to have a conversation, you know, maybe 10 to 20 feet away from you. And red really meant that somebody was being particularly cautious and, you know, they didn't, they wanted to be there to learn and, and interact, but don't get too close. Yeah. Um, so in addition to the bracelets, we were providing um, masks for all of our attendees, hand sanitizer. We were making sure that um, our room sets, um, that we did an, arrange an arrangement where folks could um, be socially distant from one another. Um, we tried to do meals outdoors. Mm, I remember that, yes. We also tried to, for attendees that did not want to attend in person, um, we invited them to attend virtually. Yep. So we had to set up the AV that, um, you know, with a camera and sound to record everybody in the room. And then the folks that were back at home, um, making it so that they really felt that they were part of the meeting. So they were also up on screen on camera. So there was a lot going on with uh, technology there. Um, 
happy to be done with all of that. Very happy. Back to a little Very more. Very happy. Yeah. Pre-COVID normalcy. Very happy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I can imagine. I can imagine. So what else? As you think about meeting planning and the world that you operate in, is there anything we haven't talked about that if we really were trying to peek behind the curtain, like we call this part of the series, that we haven't haven't talked about? It's funny when it comes when it comes so naturally to you, um, and you've been doing this for such a, a long time. How long have you been doing it for? So it's been twenty plus years. Okay. Yeah. And remind me, how many years with Amva? I know you said it earlier. Uh, it's been a little bit over six years. Okay. Yeah. And you had the fortune of coming in and working for and learning from anybody who's listening to this, you know, and a, a epic figure in the Amva landscape, Diane Graham, hired you and brought you in, and you shadowed her before her retirement. Oh, yeah. And I, I wouldn't be where I am today without having had those years with, with Diane. Um, so I'm, you know, really fortunate that she was here when I started at AMBA. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Samara, thanks for chatting a bit today, sharing with some folks some of the behind-the-scenes work that goes into these events that people don't know about. Because like I said, it really is fundamental to the fabric of AMBA. And we hear it over and over and over again uh, when members talk about the benefits of being an AMBA member, the ability to come to a place, engage with their peers, learn from each other, have those shared experiences, and so much is learned over breaking bread, quite literally. Um, for you and your team to provide that atmosphere for us to do it and do it so effectively is something we're all very appreciative for. Well, thanks for having me. This was funny. Absolutely. See, wasn't as scary as you <laughs> thought it was going to be, was it? No. All right. Well, thank you. Thank you all for listening. Thanks to our producers, Claire Jeffrey and Chelsea Hadwin. Till next week, everyone, stay well. Thank you for joining us for AmbaCast, hosted by Ian Grossman, produced by Claire Jeffrey and Chelsea Hadwin, music by Gibson Arthur. This episode was brought to you by Get Mobile ID by Get Group North America. Visit us at amvacast.podbean.com and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and Spotify. 